Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. Talking the world of money and investing. There's a ton to talk about, but there's always a ton to talk about. So I'll just do my best, get as much of it in as I possibly can. There is a workshop coming up. I think it's September 7th. I think that sounds right to me. It's noon. And it's going to be about uh, index funds. Most of you, most of you probably own index funds. I'm going to guess that I did the percentage. In, if you're investing, period, it, the chances of you having an index fund are incredibly high. Uh, they're very, very popular, being misused quite often these days. They're actually being used as a gambling tool, which is really, really weird. They were never designed for that. Uh, but that's what's happening. And the the issue is really how they're designed, the ones that are being most often used, how they're designed. I'm going to be really getting into that and getting into what's called structured investing in this workshop. It's going to be a little bit... A little bit deeper, but it's it's good stuff. And I'm going to be talking about that. So if you want to sign up for that, you go to the website, paulwinkler.com. And um, that's where you paulwinkler.com forward slash webinar. I had to think about that for a second. Uh, but that is going to be coming up and uh, something you want to check out. Because really, you know, the issue is the uh, level of additional risk that comes. Especially now, there are really kind of some interesting things going on right now. That, you know, in, in my career, I've never seen as far as the concentration risk in those types of funds. So it's it's what do you do about it and how do you how do you work your way around that? So that's what that's going to be about. Uh, like I said, September 7th uh, noon is when that workshop is going to be. OK, so one of the things I did is a, a video. I did a video this week and I was talking a little bit about bonds because we had a question about bonds. And, you know, bonds and investment portfolio, you know, when we look at cash, fixed income, bonds, you'll hear me use those terms interchangeably. CDs are a form of fixed income because you have a fixed interest rate that is paid on CDs, money market accounts. There's a lot of popularity in those types of accounts right now because the banks are paying higher interest rates and good grief we've seen in quite a while. Now, certainly not higher than I've ever seen them by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I've seen much, much higher interest rates in the past. And you know, it was just funny. It's just because I think it's been so long that the interest rates have been so low that all of a sudden now people are excited about the idea or the prospect of getting somewhat of a decent interest rate on a CD. So they're going overboard. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing cash flows into these things. Uh, increasing significantly. And, you know, that's typically what happens. And I'll get to that in, in just a little bit, because if you look at the data on that and how that ends, it doesn't normally end very well. Uh, so the question was regarding fixed income investments. And what we did is we put together some numbers. I didn't really talk about it a whole lot in the video. I'll talk about it a little bit more. 
But when you look at fixed income and investment portfolio, typically what we think about is safety, right? That is what we're looking for in our bonds, our CDs. We're looking for safety. Safety from what? Market fluctuations. So markets go up, stock markets go up, they go down, they go back, they for, go forth. And, and because of that volatility, what has happened historically, we've had much, much greater returns after inflation in those stock market investments than we've had in CDs and fixed income investments. And the reason being is, you know, hey, look, quite frankly, we got to pay you in order to put up with that volatility is what we're looking for at looking at as far as the uh, corporate world because corporations can issue bonds which is where they borrow money and then they issue stock which is where they give up ownership of the company in exchange for your money and they got to give up earnings and you look at it and go well what kind of return do they want to pay as little as possible right in anything but it's going to be commensurate on the rate of risk. If I have to put up with more fluctuation, then I have to pay you more return to use your money. That is the way the world works. Now, if we're talking about long-term bonds, in other words, we're borrowing the money for a long period of time, and I issue a bond, and I issue it for $1,000, and then I give you back your $1,000 20 years from now, let's say. Well, it's going to be a long time before you get your principal back, right? There's a lot that can happen in 20 years all over the place. You can interest rates can go all over the place. You can have issues with possibility of default or the company going under or, you know, something happening that the company is less able to pay back debt or, or whatever. Because there's so much time in order to get you to put money in these bonds, and even government bonds. I mean, you think about that, you got interest rate risk like crazy with government bonds because the government can borrow money for 30 years and you're looking at 30 years before you get that money back. So what happens is that from the investor standpoint, they're going to demand higher interest rates you know, for those types of bonds because of all the things that, that could happen in that 30-year period. Now, when you only have a short period of time, two years, one year, you know, there's not as much that can happen. And if it does, what happens? The bond matures, I get my $1,000 back, and then I go reinvest at whatever in the interest rates are. Or I go invest in something else. Or, you know, the, in a couple of years, you know, the likelihood of something really, really bad happening is much, much less. So as an investor, I can't demand as high of an interest payment. That's why longer term bonds typically pay higher interest rates. You know, you have a positively sloped yield curve. In other words, in the short run, the interest rates are lower, long run interest rates are higher. Now, what's interesting right now is that if you look at different maturities, you know, if you look at two-year bonds, for example, like a two-year global type of a portfolio, if you look at the yield to maturity, you know, in a fund that I use, uh, you know, for my own personal portfolio, the yield to maturity is almost 6%. That's pretty high for that short of a period of time. If you look at five to 10 year investment grade corporates, it's about the same. So you look at it and go, well, wait a minute. Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's pretty wild that they're fairly close. And that is what we refer to as a flat yield curve. And you know, typically what happens is bond markets look around at like what's likely to happen in the economy 
And if the short-term interest rates are high compared to the longer-term interest rates, that kind of tells you that the market thinks at some point those interest rates are probably going to come down some. You know, that's that's and that, whether they will or not, nobody knows. But I, I just want you to get the idea that that is what's going on. Is it's almost like trying to figure out what's going to happen, and then investing money based on a long-term period of time, like 10 years, let's say, let's 10 or 20 years, if I'm not demanding a really high interest rate or if I'm demanding an interest rate that is really kind of like the one-year rates, then what I'm assuming is if those rates are super, super high in the short run, but about the same in the long run, I must be thinking that it may not last forever, these higher interest rates. So, because otherwise I demand a higher interest rate, right? Because I'm locking it up for so much longer. Now, with that in mind, I may lock it up for that longer period of time because I think interest rates are going to go down and I am going to be well, well, uh, I guess, I guess the, the word would be rewarded for having locked it up for longer periods of time. Now, I'm not saying do that by any stretch of the imagination. As time, as, as this goes on, I'm, you're going to understand why you don't do that. Um, why? Who would do it? Well, a lot of times, companies that know that they've got liabilities and absolutely must pay those liabilities down the road, like, for example, an insurance company that it doesn't take a whole lot of risk and they know that they've got so many claims that are going to come in because so many people die every year, let's say, uh, and they know the life expectancy of their customers, then they would be more likely to lend money long-term. And whose money are they lending? Think about it. Yours. If you own an annuity or a life insurance policy, they're loaning your money for long periods of time. Uh, they'd much rather you take the risk than they take the risk, which is like, oh, wow, you know, I really never thought about it that way, right? Um, so it, it's interesting when you look at these yield to maturities, they're very, very high. And one of the things that people wonder about is, well, you know, why do we have all of these when we put a bond portfolio together? Why do we have them in the portfolio number one? Stability. So that if you have a stock market decline, especially as you get older, you have a market decline. Now, market declines don't last forever, right? I mean, you know, we look historically at market declines and we see that, you know, you might have, well, the average from 1950s till today, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a little over 100 days for a market to recover from a decline. Now, that's average. So some of them are a little bit longer, some are a little bit shorter. But because you can have declines and because they can be severe and they can, might last even a year, you know, you think back to 2008 and, uh, you know, you had a couple of years, right? And then you look back at some periods of time, maybe a couple of months. But if it lasts a, a year or two years or something like that or three years, I want to have a repository, a bunch of fixed income that I can pull money from. When stocks are down, I have those bonds that are holding value and I can yank money from there to buy me time for when markets recover because historically they've always recovered. Why? Because when you own a company, you run a company, you're a CEO of a company. If that stock doesn't recover, you don't get paid, you don't get rehired, you lose your job. And, you know, there are a lot of things riding on that, on your company's stock recovering. Not the least of which is the reason the company's, their, their stock went down is because earnings went down, right? 
And if earnings go away, you know, you're going to be reducing staffing. You're going to be firing people. You're going to be reducing expenses. You're going to be reducing costs of goods sold. You're going to be reducing a lot of the things that you have spent money on. And as a result, what happens is tax revenue can go down for the government. So the government doesn't like it. And when employment goes down, the government gets really antsy because these people are going and uh, trying to get reelected. And if employment numbers look really bad, their likelihood of getting reelected is significantly declined. You know, so there's a lot riding on whether stock markets recover. You know, that's really a big deal to make sure that they don't go down forever because, you know, that's politically horrible. And it's bad for the CEOs of the companies and people that run companies and employees, of course, don't really like it either because they're unemployed. So we own bonds, but we don't own them for really, really long periods of time because historically what happens after inflation, your rates of return are pretty much non-existent. And you, you might be looking at 5% inflation, you're getting 5% interest rate on your bonds and you're going, oh, I'm making nothing. You know, so that's not such a good deal. So how we choose bonds are based on durations. How the duration affects the price of the bond is it's a direct thing. So if I have a duration of two, for example, like if I'm looking at those two-year global fixed income bonds that I was just talking about a second ago, the duration's a little bit under, under one. And what that means is it's 0.57 for the particular fund that I happen to own uh, myself. But you know, if you look at that and you go, well, what does that mean? That means if interest rates go up 1%, the bond goes down 0.5%. So half percent is not a big deal. But if interest rates go down, they go up a half a percent. You know, that's what duration means. Now, you might have some bonds that would be, you know, like, for example, uh, one to five year investment grade corporates, and they might be like two and a half duration. And what that would mean is if it's a two and a half duration, that means that if interest rates go up 1%, they go down two and a half or vice versa. If the economy gets soft and things get bad and interest rates go down, then all of a sudden they jump up two and a half percent. Then you'll have some bonds that are like six duration, you know, that, that will be in a, in a portfolio of bonds that are going to be well mixed between short, short and, and longer duration. And if it's a six, well, you get it. If the interest rates go up 1%, they go down 6%. But if they go down, interest rates go down 1%, they jump 6 Now, when do typically when do we typically see interest rates dropping significantly when things go, whoa, we got a worse economy than we thought we had here. This is not going well, and we need to get things going again. And all of a sudden, you see interest rates dropped. And that's why when we hold bonds, those longer duration typically are the thing that comes to the rescue when we have bad, bad market downturns. And that's what we saw in 2008. You know, you saw a 13% increase in those intermediate bonds, a 16% increase in 2002. You know, so the big jumps, now if I'm only, and, and back at those points in time, short-term interest rates were super, 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 super low. You know, so if you look at that and you say, well, you know, if we have higher interest rates right now, I'm hoping you're following me on this. If you have higher interest rates, they have further that they can fall than they did in those years that I just named. 
So you can have even bigger jumps in bonds during those types of years. So it can be a huge deal to have those intermediate bonds in the portfolio. Now, sometimes you have some cash in the portfolio. You typically have a little bit of cash in the portfolio. And, you know, it's interesting because companies will actually, you know, if they're custodian that uh, does all the trading for your investment portfolio, a lot of the custodians, they are just bottom of the barrel pricing on what they charge for that now. And you might be six basis points. So $60 per year for an entire year for a $100,000 portfolio is all they charge for all of the trading and all the reporting on your portfolio and, and sending out you know tax information, all that stuff. It's really, really cheap. So a lot of the custodians, quite frankly, what they're gonna do is they're gonna require that some money be held back in cash and they're going to pay a really super low, lower than market interest rate on that. And you know, this is like one of those things he, you may not be able to avoid, you know, because certain custodians, you will only get access to certain funds with certain custodians. So they have you over a barrel. So typically what we do in that particular case is keep the cash holdings as low as we possibly can. But it's nice to have those cash holdings there. And at the same token, it's nice to have that there because that's the part of the portfolio that no matter what happens, doesn't go down. You know, so if we look at it, you know, typically you're going to have you know, FDIC insurance on it and, and you're not worried about the, the, li the likelihood of loss is almost non-existent, you know, is pretty much what we're dealing with there. So the bond part of the portfolio and the shorter your time horizon, the more you're going to hold fixed income or bonds in the portfolio. So if you're physically in retirement taking an income from a portfolio, you'll often hear me say that you're going to have anywhere from 50% to maybe for some people 25% of the portfolio is all you're going to have in bonds or fixed income. And the reason being is I want to make sure I have a lot of money in the other areas that have the ability to protect me against inflation. Because, you know, what's inflation prices going up? Who's raising prices? Companies. What do you own when you own stocks? You own the entities raising prices. Whereas we don't have that protection from fixed income. You know, so that was, uh, that was a question that came up. And uh, somebody was asking a little bit about bonds. Why do we have to have them? Now, what happens is so often, right, it was interesting because he's like, I don't want any bonds. Or I want very little bonds was in this particular person's case. And, you know, it's so interesting because we're seeing the opposite with some people. Isn't that funny how some people are like, no, no fixed income, no bonds because the market has, you know, gone down in value and markets don't go down in value forever. Right. You'll get that attitude. And then you'll get the opposite attitude. <gasps> the market's gone down and it's, the sky's falling and I'm hearing all this negative stuff. So I've got to have more bonds. And you go, wow, isn't it interesting? You have two diametrically opposed ways of looking at this in the same circumstances. And uh, you know, the reality of it is, you're not gonna see me change my bond to stock holdings very fast at all in, in the vast majority of circumstances, unless somebody's circumstances have changed completely, then I might change a portfolio mix more drastically. But typically, no, because what is that? It's market timing. And what do we know about market timing and the research? is not pretty. We don't usually see any kind of good positive data coming out of people that engage in market time. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. 
You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.